Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. show for you guys tonight we're going to be joined by Nate Leonard the assistant offensive line coach at Duke University but before we get into that interview however and wherever you found this podcast please be sure to like rate subscribe and review and if you've got any questions if you have a question related to your favorite team if you you know what they want to do in the draft what they need to do in the draft what they should do in their first pick feel free to leave that in your rating we will get to that question as soon as it is posted in the comments. But again, we're joined by Nate Leonard, assistant offensive line coach from Duke University. We won't waste any more time. We'll get right into that. Thank you again, Nate, for joining us. Catch him out on Twitter at Duke Coach Leo. We appreciate you guys for listening to the NFL Mox podcast brought to you by Fansite. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a very special guest for you today on the NFL Mox podcast. We're joined by Nate Leonard. Nate is the assistant offensive line coach at Duke University there under Coach Cutcliffe. He played center at UTSA for, uh, you know, about four years from 2011 to 2014. He is a part of what they call or what I would call the OG 18, the first 18 guys to make it through UTSA's program there under Larry Coker. Uh, So he went through the inaugural years there at UTSA, now has made his way into the coaching profession. You can catch Nate out on Twitter at Duke Coach Leo. And on Saturdays, you can find him in a press box near you. Nate, thanks so much for joining us here on the NFL Mox Podcast, my brother. Man, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Can't wait to talk about football, man. Man, I didn't have this question scheduled, but I do have to ask, what was it like being, again, one of those OG 18, one of the first 18 members of the very first recruiting class there at UTSA. You climb all the way through it. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit about your coaching career and uh, your playing career there at UTSA. But what's it mean to you to be uh, a part of that inaugural squad, my man? Well, to know that I had an impact on the college football horizon and and was able to start history at a place that had never had football before was, number one, one of the things that brought me to UTSA, and number two, what I can hang my hat on going through the coaching career now is looking back and saying, hey, I was able to shape the horizons of college football and was able to put a program on the map. So just the history building aspect of it, uh, building up the relationships, just like any football player would mention. And then just having that impact on college football means a lot to me. No, I definitely got you on that one. Um, so after playing at UTSA, uh, you start to get into coaching after kind of maybe trying out uh, the journalism and broadcasting career. Um, you get your start at Memorial High School there in San Antonio. And from the research I've done, Nate, uh, Memorial was kind of in a rough spot uh, there in San Antonio. How did you get your start there at Memorial High School? And what did you take away from that very uh, important experience in your early coaching days? Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, Memorial's in Edgewood ISD, which happens to be one of the you know, lowest income areas um, in the state, one of the lowest income uh, districts in the state. So it was, uh, you know, it was a good place for me to start because I got to kind of dive into a community that, you know, wants love, needs love, and I wanted to give it back to the community. Um, you know, we struggled, man. Like you said, we, we struggled. We won one game that year that I was there. Uh, they had won, I think, two games the previous five to eight years. So it was a tough place to, to be if you wanted just to chase wins. 
but it was a great place to be if you wanted to, uh, you know, chase impact. And that's exactly what I was chasing. Um, how I landed at Memorial was, you know, one of my mentors had mentioned to me, you know, it's tough to get your first job. And when you get that first offer, you know, lock it in, just say, you know what, I'm coming. Can't wait to be there and get this thing started. And, you know, get your feet wet, get in the profession, learn. And that's exactly what I did. And got offered by Memorial. It's really hard to get a, a teaching and coaching job in the state of Texas at the 5 and 6A level, especially if it's your first one. Mm-hmm. And Memorial being 5A, man, I jumped right into it and had a really, really great experience there as far as getting my start, learning how to, you know, be a coach and, and making that transition from being a player to a coach, which is one of the hardest things, in my opinion, to do, especially when you come from a background of just being a player and flipping that switch and doing the 180 and becoming a coach, becoming a father figure, becoming a mentor, becoming a role model just overnight, you know, it takes a lot out of you. And to be in that area and to have the impact that I hope I had, it was just a great start for me. Uh, And, you know, I'd never take back the days I had at Memorial. All right, so you start in Memorial, you get that that very first kind of your feet wet in the coaching experience, and then within a year you jump over to Seguin High School and then make another move to Reagan High School back there uh, in San Antonio, and now the move all the way out uh, to North Carolina there at Duke, all within the span of about three years. So, man, Nate, I'm going to tell you what, you've obviously got a very, very loyal wife and life partner there uh in your wife so what does it mean to have someone that is so willing to just pick up and follow you know wherever your dreams uh end up taking you as a whole well sam's just my number one cheerleader i love her obviously and and wouldn't want to do this with anybody else and it's a funny story going back to when we actually started out just dating or knowing each other i was in a summer course between my first and second year at utsa and she was in the same summer course she sat right across from me And I would look at her like, you know, felt like I was looking at her the entire course. I would never look at the professor. My dad called me one of the days and said, you know, how's school going? How's class going? I said, man, I don't know. I'm kind of struggling because I'm distracted. There's this, you know, beautiful girl in my class and she doesn't know it yet. She doesn't even know me yet, but I'm going to marry her. And I swear to you, that's exactly what I said. And I knew from that moment, just her personality, her smile, her demeanor. She was definitely somebody that I wanted to be around. And we actually hit it off by becoming friends first, you know, built a really strong uh, bond and friendship. She would always come to the games and I would, you know, try to hang out with her as much as possible and obviously develop feelings for her as time went on. And we started dating uh, my junior year, sophomore year, actually, because I was a registrar. So my third year Mm -hmm. in college, my sophomore year. Uh, And man, we just hit it off, obviously. And before our very first date, I looked at her and I said, Sam, I'm going to be a coach. You know, I don't know where this is going to take me. A lot of coaches move around. You know, we may be moving around the state of Texas. You know, if I'm able to get to the college level, we're going to be moving around the entire nation. You know, is that something that you're even interested in pursuing? You know, I was pretty upfront with her because I wanted her to know that that was going to be a, a potential deal if this thing, you know, carried itself out the way I saw it carrying out. And she said, If she loves you, like, you know, speaking of the person that is with you, if she loves you, she'll go wherever you go. And so at that point in time, I knew that she was in and, and man, we, we hit it off obviously and asked her to marry me before my senior football season. And we got married right after I was done playing and the rest is history, man. We're soulmates and I wouldn't want to do it with anybody else. All right. So I heard you mention that she was in a summer class. Now any collegiate athlete knows that typically during the summer, especially at a, a school as big as UTSA, um, you know, there's not necessarily very many people on campus. If she's in a summer class, she's probably an athlete. Am I correct to say that? Was uh, your wife, Sam, an athlete, or was she just there getting extra courses because that's the c- kind of person she is? Well, that's the type of person she is. She was not an athlete in college, but what she had was what was called a Texas Tomorrow Fund, which is something that her mom had the foresight to start when Sam was a baby. And so Sam was able to take classes due to this Texas Tomorrow Fund. And so she wanted to take as many courses as she could. And she just so happened to be able to take a course during the summer. And that's, you know, that's kind of her story was her mom had the foresight to know, hey, we're going to need to pay for college. She started as a child and as a baby. And so she was just able to take classes whenever she wanted to. So I'm glad I'm glad her mom started her 
on that Texas tomorrow fun because if not, I might have never met her. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a next level move right there on <laughs> exactly. uh, on Sam's mom's part right there. Um, Absolutely, Texas she's forever. How about that? She's an angel. I, yeah, and I love my mother in law. I don't know if anybody else in the country can say that. I absolutely love my mother-in-law, Dolores. She is a saint, and, uh, man, she's been so so supportive of my profession, which is so hard for a mom to do when mm-hmm. her daughter's moving all around, but she's been just been so supportive, and I wouldn't want to have any other mother-in-law. Shouts out to the mother-in-laws. I got a soon-to-be uh, Miss Gail. Miss Gail, shout-out to Miss Gail. Um, all right, so <laughs> anyone who takes a quick uh, second to run Nate Leonard uh, through the Google machine, we'll realize there are two very distinctly different versions of one Nate Leonard. There's the guy that's listed at about six foot uh, 280 range, and he's standing over the ball in most of his pictures uh, with the appropriate amount of belly fat, and he's rocking the single go. bar face mask, which, by the way, when I saw the single bar face mask, I was like, this is my kind of dude. Uh, I don't know why, maybe you broke your nose or some reason there, but to rock the single bar in 2012 says a little bit something <laughs> about you there, Nate. Uh, and then, so there's that guy, right? And then there's the other guy yep. they see uh, in photos who slimmed down quite a bit uh, to what looks to be about around 2.30 uh, with a whistle in his mouth yep. there at practice. So as someone who's played center in college just like you, maybe not at the level uh, that you did, uh, that also lost a considerable amount of weight, I'm curious what was the heaviest you got, A, and then uh, what did you end up getting down to at your lightest? Uh, I'm assuming, again, you're not someone who was traditionally meant to carry around 300 pounds uh, in his life, but had to do it, uh, as we talked about in pre-show, almost, uh, you know, as a job requirement. So uh, what was kind right. of your, you know, Joe Thomas story, if you will? He's been in the news lately for his body transformation. Uh, what did yours end up looking like there, Nate? I, mean, I always say the bigs get small and the smalls get big, but yeah. the heaviest I ever got was after an injury between my junior and senior season. I got up to about 290, and it was obviously not carried very well. I had broken my foot during an off-season workout, and you know, I you know, just kept eating the same way and, mm-hmm. and wasn't getting the conditioning that I normally got. So I got up to 290. Obviously, was like, man, this this is this is not what I'm supposed to be playing at or looking like. I didn't even know if I was going to be able to come back for my senior season. I'd had a, uh, a neck injury and a foot injury. I was beat up, um, out of shape, but I ended up getting cleared right before the first day of fall camp uh, before my senior season in 2014. So I was able to come back, thankfully, and I was a sloppy 285, and I would always tend to start a season at 285 and finish a season at about 270. So losing weight during the season was kind of a norm for me. But like you mentioned before, and a lot of offensive linemen know this, yes, we enjoy food because it's a part of our life. It's a part of our job, mm-hmm. but it ends up becoming a job to yeah. keep on the weight and, and burn so many calories during a division one practice or during a football practice, wherever you are. And then to just constantly have to force yourself to eat, to keep on the weight, to just stay competitive, you know, it gets tiring after a while. I really don't know how the NFL guys end up doing it for so long. You know, I mean, I was I was getting worn out just by my senior season, by my junior season in college, just because I was constantly forcing myself to eat. So losing the weight was a lot easier than I had originally planned. After my last game, I kind of made a commitment to myself that I was going to drop my weight. I did it really too fast. I mean, my body couldn't regulate itself. I mean, I had dropped 40 pounds. It felt like in the first month and a half, I mean, it was just unreal, but I just kind of, you know, ate normal portions. Um, and like I said, I probably dropped it too fast cause I had a hard time kind of regular. I felt weird all the time. You know, you drop that much weight, your body's going to have a hard time catching up. I entered a bunch of five K's Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, to, to keep myself competitive because there was this huge hole missing in my life and yeah. I was competing, competing on the weekends. So it was a much you know different type of competition, a lot less contact, or at least huh, I avoided contact in a 5K. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I ended up becoming competitive at it and doing, you know, amateur 5Ks and placing in the top three in my age bracket. And so that was kind of a different deal, but the weight just fell off. And I went from two... 85 in August to, you know, man, like 
19 and mm. like March and April and May. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Um, you know, I've put on a little bit since then, but good weight, you know, weight that, you know, is sustainable and, and not just eating salads without dressing all the time. You know, I'm yeah. not actually eating and enjoying my life, which at the end of the day, you know, losing weight very, very quickly is just, it's a dangerous deal. And, you know, a lot of times it wasn't enjoyable for me. So, uh, finding a good balanced weight, a balanced diet, you know, balanced nutrition. And I, I feel as good now as I've ever felt. And I'm hovering around the 230, 235 mark right now. And like I said, man, I, I didn't need to carry it around. I feel so much better. My joints feel so much better. Yeah. You know, I feel lighter on my feet. I mean, it just, I feel like I'm living in a normal human body now and I'm just loving life. Yeah, that was the thing for me. I mean, I, I spent about three months after I got done playing just kind of mentally and physically decompressing and, and just kind of being lazy. Uh, swelled, yes. up, swelled up to about probably 310, 311, uh, which is way, way, way too big for me. I'm about like you in terms of stature. I might touch 6'1 on a good day, um, but I was never intended uh, to walk around at, at 290 pounds, but I did so for, you know, seven or eight years of my, uh, you know, premature, you know, young adult life uh trying right. to be an offensive lineman and then as soon as it got done I took that three months you know pretty much ate anything I want and I always used football as an excuse to pretty much eat whatever I wanted because I knew if I stopped eating I would just start dropping weight and then as soon as I showed up to camp my offensive line coach would be pissed off because I came in at, <laughs> at, at 275 or, or 268 or something like that um so right. I always just it was always that built-in excuse of well I can just eat whatever I want because He's not going to be mad at me for being too big because I was never going to be a guy that couldn't carry the weight. Because, um, right. you know, I was, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't probably intended to even play offensive line. I was just always a fat kid. So that's what I always did. Um, <laughs> right. So when I got done, I saw, like you said, started eating like a normal human being, eating normal portions, yeah. uh, you know, just kind of not necessarily uh, counting calories or anything, but just kind of being conscious of what I'm putting in my body. And then the running, right? Like you mentioned, when we get yeah. done, when competitive, highly competitive alpha male athletes get done playing <laughs> a warrior sport such as football where there's such hand-to-hand combat um, at the offensive line position in particular, when you lose that every day, you don't have that channel or, you know, uh, you know platform to get rid of that kind of competition and, uh, you know, need for, you know, I don't know if it's a, a winning or losing, but just that adversity every single day mentally um, and running, running did that for me. I got, I finally got into it. It's something I hated my whole life. Obviously, you don't intend to enjoy running as a as a large uh, young young child or anything like that. But when I got done playing, I, I lost the the avenue to compete, and I started competing within myself um, on you know running surfaces and stuff like that. Always trying to beat the time from the day before. Uh, Absolutely. So that's enough questions about you and I and stuff like yeah. that. Let's get into some football questions. And as I was telling you pre-show, I know how to talk dirty to an offensive line coach. Played the position for 18 seasons. So I know what gets you guys to stand up straight in meetings, if you know what I mean. My offensive line coach in college, his name was Daryl Bullock. He's now the O-line coach at Howard University. He used to to say, and he probably still says it to this day, the good Lord spent the first six days creating the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, he rested to admire all of his hard work. And then on the eighth day, he got his butt up, he put on a cup of coffee, and he invented power. So, preach, with that baby, being preach. said, with that being said, Nate, first off, tell me why power is the greatest football play ever invented. Man, angles and pulling. I mean, it's, you got your down blocks, you got your play side double team, and then, man, as a guard and as an offensive lineman in general, being able to pull and meet somebody up in the hole is probably one of the most exciting things that you get to do mm-hmm. in your life. I mean, it's that's when it really becomes one-on-one, man versus man, you know, big dog's going to eat. And that's why I love the play because it, it is a beautiful play. You know, you're going to cave down the front side. You're going to be able to wall off the backside. And then you're going to be able to see who's the bigger man in the hole. You know, I mean, you're going to have a guard wrap and he's going to meet that front side linebacker and we're going to either, you know, split the crease or we're going to get stuffed in the hole. And so it's a true man's play 
That's why I love it so much. I love coaching it. I love watching it. I loved running it when I could. Those days are obviously over. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're, you know, Coach Daryl's right, man. It's amen, preach. You know, it's it's something that you got to live by. And if you're an offensive line coach that doesn't like to run that play, then I don't know if you can call yourself an offensive line coach. To be quite honest, yeah, it's probably you know, not for you at that point. Like if you're not getting yeah. off to power, um, you're probably not going to make it in the profession as an offensive line coach in general because. It's the bread and butter, right? It's what you guys love to do the most. And for me, as a center, it was always my favorite play to run because for once, I'm not fighting against the leverage of, you know, a a shade technique or a three three technique. Because for me, as an offensive lineman, especially as a center, um, when I'm working to my right and the guy's to my right, he's already got a step on me, right, just based off of alignment, correct? But for once, the only time as a center, you get to back block. You get to use basically your body as just being, you know, I hate to say as an offensive lineman, it's a, it's a playoff because no play is a playoff. But all you've got to right. do is keep that guy from flowing over the top. And all right. that is, all that is is top side leverage for me. Um, and if a three technique, if I felt like he was getting too far upfield to the point where he's running the backside of the curve on me, I always felt yeah, like yeah. I always had the option of cutting him um, there too. So for me as a center, I loved running power because it was, you know, honestly, again, you hate to say it, it kind of makes me sound like a bad offensive lineman in general, but kind of my play to finally have a, a leverage advantage and not be fighting someone who's already got a play side shoulder at least a uh, point of uh, assignment uh, or, excuse me, alignment advantage there. So kind of what's your yeah. take? I mean, I kind of gave you mine, but what do you think? I, I'm, I heard you talk about the high side and the low side of, of back blocking on power. Um, what are some things you've learned uh, about the power play in general um, since, you know, just your time there at Duke. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about two things, really. I'll talk about how important blocking the backside is, and I'll talk about how you can dress it up and how that may change some of the front side assignments. But, you know, one of the things that we do here at Duke is we really break down the details of the play so there's no, you know, ambiguity about your mm-hmm. assignment. Um, and so what we teach and kind of what you alluded to was there's a high block back and there's a low block back on the backside of power because anybody who really teaches the play knows that when the guard creates that void between the A gap and the B gap, mm-hmm. you know, just, there's just this huge, huge void. You've got to replace it. If something were to, you know, squirt through the backside of power, it's probably going to blow up the play mm-hmm. and, you know, you're going to have a no play. So you've got to take care of the backside of power. And how we do that is we break it down by saying the center's got the high block back which would be the play side shoulder of the B-gap defender. Mm-hmm. And the tackle has got the low block back, which would be the backside shoulder of the backside defender, the B-gap defender. And so that way there's no ambiguity. You know, both center and tackle are responsible for that void. They've got to get the job done, and we've got to take care of that void before we fall off to anything in the C-gap. Uh, you know, me being a center, I, I actually I did, like you said, enjoy the back block because it gave me an angle and, yeah. and for a guy that was undersized angles are leverage and and that's winning as an undersized guy and i i was very undersized to, to survive at the d1 level Absolutely. but at the same time at the same time if you do focus in on what your assignment is it's not necessarily in my opinion like a playoff or an easy angle it's it's more of you know, not getting wrapped up in the overanalyzation and paralysis by analysis of the play, but just narrowing your focus and going from a flashlight to a laser point, a pointer, you know, and saying, man, this is my exact assignment and getting back there on that three technique, like you mentioned, or being able to bite the neck and wall off shade. And I mean, those are things that, that never came easy for me, but being able to break down the details of that play, especially here at Duke makes it easier for our guys to execute the backside of that play. And, you know, speaking on the second point of emphasis with power is how you can dress it up, how you can read it. You know, our in normal power, our front side double team, you know, obviously works the backside backer. Mm-hmm. But when we dress it up with motions and things like that, you know, sure, it's still a front side double team, but now that backside backer may be screaming over the top mm-hmm. if there's a motion to the play side of the play. And so what we've got to work on then is, is saying, okay, yes, you have a double team on the front side of power, but now with the motion and learning the concept of the play, which is so critical for any coach that's listening yeah. to this, you know, make sure your offensive linemen know 
the concept of the play, know what's going on. It's going to make their job so much easier. It's going to make your offense so much more successful. But that's a whole different podcast. No, it's but not, man. I, I love I love that you get into this, man, because as a center, I always knew things like where's the launch point, where's the quarterback releasing yeah. the ball, where's the mesh point, things like this. Where's the when you talk about concept of the play, audience? What he's talking about is something as simple as power. We know that power is intended to hit on the inside hip of the play side guard. You should know that as an offensive lineman. And if you don't, you don't know the full entirety and the full depth of the concept of the play. So what Coach is talking about here is when you get out there into live bullets and live situations, it's not always as cookie cutter as Coach put it on the board. So on on the board on Tuesday, when it looks like you just have the guy that's labeled T on the board in front of you and you're blocking back to the guy on the backside of the board that says LB, that's not how it's going to look when you're on the field. So, man, I impre- I appreciate that you teach not only, you know, what your assignment is and your alignment, but you emphasize knowing and fully understanding the concept of the play. Because as a center man, that's something that frustrated the hell out of me because I knew that I knew what was going on, and I could try my best right. to make sure everyone else was knew what, what was going on. But when Saturday comes, it's hot, you're sweating, you've been getting your butt whooped, or you've been doing the butt whooping. Nonetheless, there's some physical and mental exhaustion going on. It's not always going to be cookie cutter. So I appreciate that you're teaching the concepts and emphasizing the concepts, not just the alignments and the assignments, my man. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you mentioned, come Saturday morning, it's not always pretty, but come Saturday morning or Saturday evening or prime time or whatever when I was playing – I was always beat by birth from the start of the game. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I was, I was six foot Same. in boots, you know, and I was, I was, you know, hardly carrying the weight I needed to be competitive, you know, with physical leverage. And so I had to know the concept of the play. If I didn't know the concept of the play and every little trick and trade in the book, then, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I was going to be beat by birth and that was going to show up on the game tape. And the only way that I survived in the game for as long as I did at the D1 level was that I knew every trick and trade in the book mm-hmm. and I knew launch points, aiming points, focused on them, my, you know, from a spotlight to a, to a laser pointer, like I mentioned earlier. And that's what I try to teach the guys here at Duke as much as I can, the little tricks and trades, I mean, because, you know, defensive linemen in the ACC are unreal. Yeah. You know, and, and so being able to have anything and every little thing going into a game just helps us be a successful program here at Duke. Now, I've heard you mention multiple times um, all the injuries that you had going through college, and and you almost make it seem like you had an extremely injury-ridden career, but then you do research on Mr. Nate Leonard, and you made 46 consecutive starts or something insane like that. So I didn't yeah. plan this question out, nor did I let you know about this in, 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 in the pre-show planning. But um, what was the craziest thing you ever played through, man? Because you don't – again, you make it – I've heard you talk about some of the injuries you've dealt with, but to make all 46 starts in those four years that you were a starter at UTSA, man, that is quite an achievement. As, as someone who made 43 and, uh, you know, missed a couple for a concussion here and a high ankle sprain or so there – uh, how did you manage to do all 46 starts, and what was the craziest thing? You may be a little bit ashamed to say you played with because it wasn't necessarily the healthiest thing to do, uh, but what was that, man? Well, I mean, that's that's a great question. You know, it's nothing, and it's something that I've never really been able to answer before, but, you know, first of all, I'd like to preface it by saying that when you choose to play the great sport of football, you know you're going to be dealing with a substantial amount of pain, yep. and that's just the way that it's going to be you got to be able to determine the difference between pain, soreness, and pain injury. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that it meant so much to me to be there for my teammates and to be there for my team that I was willing to live with pain injury each and every day I woke up in the morning and each and every day I went to bed. And, and I think that goes in the mentality of playing the selfless position of offensive line and the best guys in the game that do it embrace that pain and know that it's not selfish suffering you know it is suffering for the goodness of the whole of the team and doing it selflessly for your teammates so first and foremost before i even talk about my injury just people have got to know that that it's a very painful sport to play but 
you can go and ask anybody. I'm sure they'd all tell you the pain's worth it for the glory of helping your team succeed. Mm -hmm. So that's first and foremost. But I'll break it down between two injuries. And like I mentioned earlier, the broken foot, yeah, that was painful, but it happened in the offseason. You know, it nagged me throughout my senior season, but that's not the worst. It was, you know, I'll start with the one that happened my sophomore year. So sophomore year, we're playing Texas State, which is the first time that our two schools had ever played football together against each other. And there was a large, deep-seated rivalry that started way before I even knew that UTSA existed, okay? Mm -hmm. And so being able to play them in the Dome my sophomore season was a a rivalry, to say the least, and it was was so exciting. But the last play before half, I got caught straight-legged around a pile. And, And anybody who knows what that entails as a lineman, you don't see what's what's going to happen behind you never and so i got caught straight legged around a pile and unintentionally you know i wasn't intended to play straight leg or anything like that it just happened and the guy who was attempting to make the tackle on our running back kind of whipped around mm-hmm. and so his hip and everything hit my outside oh. the outside of my left knee my the outside of my left leg now luckily don joy knee braces saved shout my out to career. don joy Shout out to Don Joy, you know, worship you. But um, came around and whipped me, and I felt something pop on the the medial side of my leg, and mm-hmm. I was like, "No, man, this can't this can't be it." You know, not going into halftime of the rivalry game, and you know, I didn't even tell the trainer, but like I knew that something was wrong. My knee felt really, really heavy, and what I did was I went into halftime and I took a roll of tape athletic tape and I just sat down and just taped my knee around the knee brace like an idiot but just as hard as I could so that it would compress and I'd be able to hopefully continue and I was able to continue but obviously something was was very wrong I'm just gonna go on and and just put this advisory out there uh to the young men that and women that are listening to this podcast taping uh just you I obviously tried to add some structural integrity to that thing, um, <laughs> but you definitely didn't make it through that football game because of the tape. It had everything to do with adrenaline, and you probably made yeah. it worse with the tape, honestly. But that, yeah. but that is, I mean, that's the thought process, right? It's however I have to do, whatever I have to do, however I have to do it to get through this game uh, and to finish. Uh, that's what we focus so much on as offensive linemen, uh, fight to finish. We hear that all the time from our coaches. Um and that's the example of it right there. You're just literally fighting your ass off to finish for your guys uh, out there. Yeah. So now you're on the other end. You're an offensive line coach that's, uh, you yeah. know, in constant pursuit of the next guy because that's what college football is for guys who are listening to this. They're always looking for the next guy up because the rules are, are that you got to leave, right? You can only be there four yeah. years. So what are you, uh, in specifically you, looking for in terms of, of an offensive lineman, wherever you go in your coaching career, whether it's at Duke right now, um, you know, obviously schools have their own certain type of philosophies in terms of potential athletes and guys they want to play for them. But you specifically, what is Nate Leonard, the offensive line coach looking for in an offensive lineman coming to play for him? Well, it's the same. It it, it all goes the same way as far as what we look for at Duke and what I look for. And it's smart, tough, well, but it's, it's the truth. <laughs> no, it's I'm messing smart, with you. tough, absolutely. Smart, tough, athletic guys who are physically big enough to play the position. And that, you know, that can that can vary school to school, uh, offense to offense. So that's a very vague statement. But let me break it out just a little bit. So smart. You've got to know the concepts of the play like we mentioned. And you got to, you know, teach the concepts of the play as a coach. You know, that's, that's kind of a measuring stick of you as a coach. You know, do your players – understand what you're teaching and if not then you need to reevaluate not your players but your own teaching methods and you know ability to teach so that would be number one smart guys understand the concept of the play when the live bullets start going and whizzing by your ears during a game and they start to change things up can they communicate to you on the sidelines so that you can make in-game adjustments mm-hmm. you know so you got to have smart guys you know smart tough tough guys obviously we talked a lot about being a selfless position 
you know, fighting to finish, all those things. You got to have guys that know that they're about to go out there, put their bodies out on the line for the goodness of their team, for the success of their team. That's being tough, you know, and knowing that you're not going to have a real stat to hang your hat on and you're going to have a stat that's known as pancakes, but that's kind of a a self-fulfilling stat. Yeah. You know, you're going to be – you or your offensive line coach is going to take a lot of pride in that, mm-hmm. but it's not going to show up in the stat book. Never. You know, so a guy that a guy that's tough knowing that he's going to be working in the shadows, never in the spotlight, and he's going to be doing it through a lot of a lot of pain. And then athletic guys, guys that can get the job done. You know, you can look the part. You can be a tough guy. You can be smart. But if you can't get the job done at wherever you are athletically, being quick enough, strong enough, you know, being able to develop – your body the appropriate way and take care of your body, then you just, you just can't play. You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to help your team out if you're not athletic enough for that particular team or particular offense. And again, that varies by team and by school and by offense. And then that are, that are, you know, big enough to play the position, you know, especially at the college level, we have the ability to recruit Mm -hmm. and we have the ability to, Select. guys that we want select absolutely and so and again that's going to be different everywhere you go but big enough for us may not be big enough for another school mm-hmm. or big enough for another school may not be big enough for us and that all varies on how you perform like you know a guy can be six three can we play him at tackle absolutely i say win right why because he's athletic enough to play there or he's smart enough to play there or, you know, or he's tough enough to play. There. So that's all very vague and no one listening to this is going to be like, Oh, I'm the perfect fit for Duke, you know, because you just don't know exactly what goes into it, but through evaluation of those kind of four things, we would be able to select exactly who we want to play here at Duke. And for me personally, knowing that I probably won't be a Duke my entire career, it, those are the same things that I'm going to take with me wherever I go, because they're things that, if they hold true and you can select those qualities, you're going to have a successful offensive line. Most, most definitely. So you've been at Duke now for a little over a year, obviously. What's the biggest yeah. thing you've learned so far, whether it's a micro thing like, uh, you know, a new way to attack or teach the backside block on power like we talked about or something macro, um, you know, that takes an effect on the, an entire, like, cultural development in the sense uh, as a coach, what's one thing you've picked up on, or excuse me, what's the biggest thing you've kind of picked up on there at Duke so far? Well, the biggest thing I've picked up on is that there's great coaching everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there's great coaching everywhere. So it, it kind of allowed me to see that being at Duke and then realizing where I had been, you know, in the high school ranks. And so being at Duke, you know, you go through the meetings, you go through the installs, you go through the season, and you realize that these guys are the best of the best in the profession. Mm-hmm. But you also realize that the guys that you've worked with previously, you know, at the high school level, see a lot of the things the same way as guys at the Division One level, do a lot of the same things as guys at the Division One level, the Power Five level. So what you realize is that no matter the classification that you're coaching in, there are great coaches all across the country at every level. And it's a, ma- it's a macro thing. It's a huge wide scope thing, but it's something that people need to realize, you know, that there are great coaches at your local high school. Mm-hmm. There are great coaches at your local middle school. There are guys that work just as hard as power five guys know just as much X's and O's as power five guys and do as much for their kids as power five guys. It's just that you're wearing a different logo on Friday night and Saturday night, you know? So that's something that I've learned is that, man, what a great game that we are a part of. What a great game that we coach. And there's great coaching everywhere you go. And I'm so lucky at this point in time in my career to be with great coaches that we have here at Duke University. All right. So one thing I've heard you talk about uh, there at Duke is what you guys call, I believe you call it doing the 55. Now explain to our audience, because I love this when I heard you talk about what doing your 55 means uh, there at Duke? Well, and it's amazing that you've already mentioned a few of the things of the 55. You know, if we go back and do a pitch count of how many times we've said alignment, how many times we've said assignment, you know, that's, that's the first two pillars of the 55. So what, what the 55 is, before I dive into it, the average football play is five seconds long. 
Okay, so if you can do five things, these five things, for five seconds, you're going to find success. What people don't realize is that it's very, very difficult to master these five things in the five seconds of the average play. And these five things are, in this order, alignment, assignment, effort, execution, and finish. So alignment, knowing how to align. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. it's that simple. Winning pre-snap. D4. Right? Yeah, what's that? I said D4. He didn't align correctly in a, 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 a oh, NFL playoff game and uh, cost him a, a basically a Super Bowl visit. So, you know, the number one thing, right? Can you line up correctly? Something as simple as that. It sounds stupid, but even the professionals at the highest level sometimes fail to do so. So go ahead, continue. I'm sorry. Absolutely. No, 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 you're good. And that's a great example. Alignment, assignment, knowing what to do. <laughs> you know, what, what is the concept of the play? Do I really understand the concept of the play? Can I, can I you know, knowing what I know, can I pre-snap, help myself during the play? So assignment, you know, assignment football. What is my job? And if you don't know your job, then you're not going to be able to do the next thing, and that's execute your job. So alignment, assignment, execution. Can I get my job done? And that, that goes into a lot of things. Physicality, mm -hmm. you know, am, am I leverage? Do I know the first two, alignment and assignment? You know, can I execute? If I can execute, right, mm -hmm. alignment, excuse me, effort is third. So back up. Alignment, assignment, effort. So, you know, can I give forth Alexa? No, Alexa, cancel. Alexa has a mind. Alexa, Alexa out here giving effort. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, sorry about that, but no, nah, it's know, okay. Hey, hey, I can't they're say gonna, her name again, or else they're gonna, gonna run. They're gonna run the world one day. So you better be nice <laughs> to her. So exactly. that's all I got. So effort. <laughs> yeah, effort. Can you give forth the effort needed mm -hmm. to, you know, to do your job? And that goes into execution. So I know I messed up the the order a little bit. That's my fault. You know, I did not master the fifty five of this, but. Uh, execution. Can you execute your job and then finish? You know, can you finish the job? And as an offensive lineman, it's something that I stress all the time and it goes into our mentality. You know, can you finish what you've started? And it's so difficult for people to master all five in the five seconds of the average play. And so that's what we live by. And we don't just live by it on the field. We live by it in the classroom. Our student athletes have to master the 55 in the classroom to be successful at Duke. And then you got to master the 55 in the community to be able to mm. be recognized for the right things and not be recognized as so often we see getting, you know, recognized for the wrong things, you know, because you're never going to be on the front page of the paper for doing a mission trip no. to Guatemala or, or, you know, a Habitat for Humanity trip to Guatemala like our guys do every summer. You're going to be on the front page of the paper for something that, you know, you the messed negative. up on. Yeah. You know, the fumble, you know, and, and that's that's just our society today. So we've got a master of the 55 alignment, assignment, effort, execution, and finish, average of five seconds. But you got to take that mentality that you have on the field and apply it to all aspects of your life. Awesome, man. That's winning stuff right there uh, from the Duke University football program. All right, so obviously I want to get some questions uh, to you about your guy, Daniel Jones, considers, considering this is an NFL draft-oriented podcast. But before we get into that, uh, let's show, uh, excuse me, let's show some love to the big guys up front. I got a fat tongue today, Nate. I don't know what's going on. Um, but let's talk <laughs> so a little good. bit about your guy, Christian Harris. This is a kid that played all 13 games this year at left tackle as a redshirt senior. Uh, but like most offensive linemen, he's made starts damn near everywhere during his career there at Duke. Uh, you know, a 6'6 six, 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 six kid out of Collins Hill High School. Uh, here, down here in Georgia, what kind of uh, attitude and what kind of ability is Christian Harris going to bring uh, to an NFL locker room this coming or this coming fall, Nate? Well, he's multi he's multifaceted, and the thing is with Christian, he'll he'll say this too. You know, he matured and took his job seriously and more seriously the later on he was at Duke University, and he ended up being a starter his senior year. And so he's kind of late on the radar. Mm -hmm. You know, he had a lot of talent in front of him coming into Duke and being at Duke. And, you know, he was maybe not taking it as seriously as he could have early. And then 
he really dove into his responsibility and his 55 as a football player in his career at Duke, and he ended up doing a tremendous job for us his senior year here. He is a late bloomer in this great game and great position of offensive line. He's a huge individual, so he definitely looks the part. He's going to measure the part. He's athletic. So he's, he is athletic enough to play in the NFL, hands down, in my opinion, athletic enough to play in the NFL. He just doesn't have the amount of tape that a lot of the guys do going yeah. into this year's draft. You know, and you, you probably found that out. No, you know, I definitely did. Some, I know, yeah. I know the research I did on him, Nate, uh, brought back immediately that this is a kid who, you know, probably did majority of his damage in high school at the defensive end position, probably felt that was a little more natural uh, in his development, but obviously with his measurables and the body type he had, he got moved to tackle, uh, though he obviously played a little bit of it in high school. But I think maybe that kind of hesitance uh, to deep, deep dive into the position and really learn and take hold to the position might stem back from the fact that this might be a guy who never really identified as an offensive lineman because, like you said, this is a superior athlete, right? This is a guy who's a yes. fluid-moving athlete. This isn't someone who's got heavy feet or anything like that. Hell, if, I'm sure if you threw him on a basketball court, he probably looks pretty natural and pretty fluid out there as well. So, again, I think maybe a little bit of that hesitation to full-on taking to the position probably, again, stems from that uh, maybe not natural tendency to want to play offensive line or even think, you know, you're an offensive line-type athlete because for so long the, the stigma has been that we're not, you know, premier athletes, but that's just not the case anymore at the NFL level especially those guys are freak athletes at the tackle position and it seems like Christian's one of those guys Nate he is he's a freak athlete who has come into his own and he does identify as an offensive lineman he took on that role this year he played lights out for us did a heck of a job like you said started every game has done tremendous for us and you know what he's got that you just can't bottle and sell is he's got the mentality that it takes to be successful. Mm. You know, he's got that nasty mentality, the mentality, I'm going to put my hand in the dirt and I'm going to beat you each and every play of this drive and each and every play of this game. And I'm going to help our team win. You know, he can be an asset to an NFL team that is willing to get him, you know, in camp, get him in the doors, get him in the locker room. The players are going to love him. He's a guy that really lights up a team, lights up a room. You know, like I said, he's multifaceted. And I just think he's getting to that, you know, just the tip of the iceberg of his potential. You know, I wish we could have him for two more years because I guarantee if we had him for two more years, he'd be a salty veteran and he would be have a lot more tape and a lot more exposure going into this, you know, that year's NFL draft than he does now. But he is a freak athlete who's got a great head on his shoulders. He's got the mentality to last and mentality to survive. He's quick enough, strong enough, big enough, fast enough to be successful. And he is such a great potential offensive tackle or offensive guard in the NFL. It's just got to have a team get him, get their hands on him, get him in the locker room, and he's going to be an asset. All right, you heard it straight from the horse's mouth. Christian Harris, uh, a name to, you know, remember, you know, probably day three potentially in the draft, if not a free agent signing uh, potentially there. And Christian, uh, like Coach said, a lot of uh, room left to grow here in this young prospects, or excuse me, prospects career. Now on to a guy who maybe doesn't necessarily need help uh, in terms of the hype machine, and that's Daniel Jones you guys as quarterback out of Duke. I know you only got to be around him uh, just this past year or so, but what kind of impression did he leave on you, Nate? What kind of leader is he? Uh, what kind of worker is he? You know, those type of intangibles that the box score doesn't necessarily show us. Uh, what is Daniel Jones all about? Daniel Jones is a professional, and he's been a professional ever since he got to Duke as a walk-on. And like you mentioned, I only got to know him for a year. But you just know when you meet somebody when they have an intense elite focus that mm -hmm. they're going to do something special. And Daniel is one of those guys. You know, what's, what's so interesting about Daniel is that he's very personable and he will talk to anybody and everybody about anything you want to talk about. You feel like you can approach Daniel. And then when you watch him play, you feel like he's one of those stars that, man, he doesn't have to give me his time. 
you know, but he does because that's just the kind of person that he is. Mm -hmm. And then when you see him in the film room, you want to be the one who's asking Daniel questions and not the other way around, you know, because he just sees things so much differently. You know, you, you find those guys very rarely in your career that you feel understand the game Mm -hmm. in an inherent way that other people don't see. Yeah. And Daniel is just one of those guys. And that's why a lot of these guys may interview Daniel and they're going to talk to Daniel and they're going to pick Daniel's brain. Being around Daniel in a daily setting and being around Daniel, the student and Daniel, the, the person, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, he, he is just one of those guys that you find very rarely in your career. I've known one other guy and he's now a pitcher for the New York Mets. And I was able to play football with him in high school. His name's Zach Lee, but mm-hmm. you just, you just know when someone's going to do something special and you just know that he's got that. He's just different. Yeah. Brooks. He's just different. And he's so personable that you could ask him anything you want to. He's down to earth. But when he steps on that field, he becomes that elite focused individual that you just want to be around. You want to learn from, you know, that's what's so interesting. I'm a coach, right? And a lot of people would say, well, it's your job to teach him. Daniel's taught me more than I've ever taught him about being elite. And that's exactly what Daniel is. That's exactly where Daniel lives. He is going to be an unbelievable asset for any franchise and whichever franchise drafts him. And I'm excited to see where he goes because he's been developed by two of the best quarterback coaches in the country. One is David Cutcliffe, and the second is Zach Roper, our offensive coordinator. So he's had those mentors. Mm -hmm. He's had that background. He's got that knowledge. And now it's his opportunity to show everybody else that, hey, I've got those mentors. They taught me everything that that maybe I know as a quarterback in my reads and, and the X's and O's. But He's got that elite focus to take that mm-hmm. and put it out as a product in an NFL locker room, NFL field, and with an NFL franchise. He, Brooks, he is the real deal. All right. I'm sold. I'm sold on uh, our boy Daniel Jones out of Duke. I, like, I love his story, man. The former walk-on uh, to be a, a walk-on as your true freshman year and then within a full calendar year, you're on not only on full scholarship as a redshirt freshman, but you're the starting quarterback there for a Power 5 conference. Um, I'm sold, man. You, you've given me enough uh, uh, in terms of the intangibles because that's really what's going to separate these guys at the next level. When you get to the point where you're draft eligible and you're, you know, uh, if you've got first, second-round grades, we all know you can play the damn game. It's whether or not you love it and whether or not you're, especially at the quarterback position, just a good person in general. Are you going to do what like the things you're talking about? Are you personable? Can you relate to the 50, you know, the other 50, 60 guys in the locker room um, at that next level. That's so important. So I wanted to get your opinion on some of these ACC defensive line donkeys that we've got coming out uh, this year in this draft. You've obviously had the privilege of watching them on film and preparing your offensive line to face them on Saturday. So I got a list of guys, and obviously we'll start with the Clemson boys, starting with Cleveland Farrell. What did you see from Cleveland Farrell this past year at Clemson, Nate? You know, you obviously see the athleticism on tape, but then when you see him pregame, you're like, oh, man. I mean, that, that it's just it's just unreal, you know? And then when you see it, the way that he carries himself and the way that he plays the game, I can't speak to him as a person, don't know him, mm-hmm. but I'll speak to him as, as the player. He's, he's a load to prepare for. You know, all those guys were, and we knew that going into the Clemson week, but then when it plays out in front of your eyes, it's just something to behold. You know, as an offensive line coach, you're trying to figure out ways to beat an opposing defensive line and demoralize and take away their will to fight. With Clemson, it was more along the lines of how can we contain these guys? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how, can we, how can we adjust our offense to contain these guys and be able to stave these guys off? But Farrell just does a great job with his hands. I think one, one of the best things he does is he just plays so consistently mm-hmm. throughout the entire game. The product that you see on play one it's is going to be the product that's... Yeah. Play 99, absolutely. And that's an elite product with elite quickness, elite speed, and elite athletic ability that's obviously well-coached, comes from a great program. Yeah. But I can't wait to see where he goes. 
because I've seen him in person, he's going to be obviously a special, special NFL player. Yeah, I think all four of these guys from Clemson, Austin Bryan included, are all, you know, really, really, really good football players. The thing that stands out most to me about Cleveland Farrell is I think he was the juice. I think he was the right. absolute, like, energy energizer bunny. Uh, you know, all these guys are talented again, but not everybody plays hard. That's one thing you'll learn uh, the longer you stick around the game of football is that some guys are just talented and they go through the motions just like everything else in life. Some people at your office aren't really working hard right now. They're probably listening to this podcast while they're not <laughs> doing work. You know what I mean? So, like, right, some people right. some people need that energizer, that juice around them, and Cleveland Farrell, to me, was that guy. I think he's a little bit limited in, in terms of the ability to bend around the edge, which is extremely important at the next level. But energy and effort will get him, uh, you know, at least past uh, some most people at the next level. So the next guy sure. we want to hit on is Christian Wilkins. What were your thoughts on him? Obviously, the less, uh, you know, not as big as Dexter Lawrence, um, but, you know, as, as effective at the uh, college level. What were your thoughts on Christian Wilkins out of Clemson? Well, I can tell you this. What our guys said about him was how strong he mm-hmm. is. You know, I mean, you go across the board, I can say the same thing about each of them, elite athletic ability, all that stuff. But with him, it was really the strength and the functional strength that he played with throughout the entire game. Yeah. You know, it's just hard to contain his strength, his strike, his ability to shed blocks. And that was the one thing that our guys kept coming back with over and over again is how strong he is. And then the next day, Sunday in the film room, how strong he was mm-hmm. and how difficult it was to get any sort of physical leverage on him. And that would be the one thing I'd have to say about him was just the, the strength in which he plays the game. You can have great weight room numbers, and everybody mm-hmm. knows that. That doesn't necessarily transfer to the field. His functional strength obviously transfers through the way that he plays. He's one of the strongest defensive linemen that we've played against functionally on the field. Yeah, some some defensive linemen, man, their hands are just heavier. Like when they just when, yeah. they, when they touch you, you just feel it differently. Um, I walked across a few of those guys uh, in my time in the Gulf South Conference down here uh, in the great state of Georgia playing for Shorter University. But um, nonetheless, the last guy, well, we got to hit on Dexter Lawrence and then we'll get your take on Austin Bryant. Probably a similar boat there with Dexter Lawrence, right? An extremely powerful athlete, um, but much heavier, obviously, there at the point of attack, yes. right? Yes. I mean, just a load, obviously, just trying to contain him. But, I mean, you want to talk about a guy that brings juice, too, is Dexter Lawrence. Really? You know, I mean, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I just I just remember when he was introduced in the game. I mean, I, that might have been the – it was their senior night. might have been the loudest that that stadium got. You know, and it was just it was just very interesting to see. No, that's you know, very they, interesting. Yeah, how how they reacted to him, and and it just seemed like he was one of those those guys that they they you know were magnets to, and and the crowd loved him, and they really got up for him. And obviously, elite strength and speed and athleticism. A guy that was just a load to block, tried to contain him, but like all those guys. Just unbelievable defensive linemen, some of the best we saw all year. All right, quick take on Austin Bryant, and then we're going to build our offensive line with snacks. That's my favorite <laughs> segment I've created so far on the NFL Mocks podcast, and I think you're going to enjoy it as well. Give me your take on Austin Bryant. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to skip Brian Burns and Joe Jackson. You guys can read my work on NFLMocks.com for that. Great. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem, no problem. Yeah, Austin Bryant, man, he, wear, he wore a single-digit number. But, man, he, he does not have a single-digit body. I mean, another one of those guys that you see and you see on tape and then you say, man, that tape is obviously deceptive. Just a huge individual. Someone who really, like, some guys are, are, are big, but they don't use their size. Some guys have, yeah. you, know, you know, length, but don't use their length. He's one of those guys that used both, you know, uh, to our demise. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. some somebody who knows his physical capabilities. I believe he's, I think I still remember from the depth chart, he's like 6'6", 280. You know, it's just one one of those guys that he doesn't look like he's 280 pounds. And we kept saying that in the film and we're like, man, he's listed at 280. But then when you see him in person and you you hear about our tackles having issues with his speed to power rush, Mm -hmm. you know, then, then you really realize that this guy's one of those guys that you 
talk about on Sundays, <laughs> you know, because he's just one of those guys that's just, he's a, he's an athlete that is rare. Yeah, you know, I think you mentioned it before, a freak athlete, but, but someone who puts it all together on mm-hmm. the field and is just unbelievably difficult to manage. Sounds like as a guy that's faced him and is least prepared for him, man, you're a lot higher on Austin Bryant than most of the people doing this draft coverage. So I like to hear that, um, especially when I, when I looked on the tape, man, I didn't see like a distinct difference between Austin Bryant and Cleveland Farrell. That's, I mean, that may just be me. Um, in fact, I thought maybe even Austin Bryant might have been a better edge setter in the run game. I don't know how you feel about that, um, but that was my kind of basis opinion on uh, Austin Bryant and his comparison to Cleveland Farrell, um, you know, because it's easy. You just see them both right there on the tape together. Um, I'm a little higher, at, just like you, on Austin Bryant than most. I've heard anything from a third to a fifth-round slot on Austin Bryant, um, which, is, which is quite absurd to me. Um, I think it's an easy day two uh, defensive end that people are going to be really, really happy with. Like you said, a guy whose name we should hear on Sundays um, just because, like you said, he's got the whole package and it's all tied together. All right, so on to this segment that I'm pumped for. Um, we're going to build an offensive line with stacks, so or snacks. So here's what I want. I want two tackles, so I want two lean and powerful, versatile snacks. I want two guards. Here's where we can get a little bit chunky, a little bit sloppy, Nate. And then I want one center, which, again, is always consistent snack, one that's not going to blow you away with flashness or God-given ability, a snack like yourself, Nate Leonard. Um, So here we go. (laughs) I'll start with mine to give you a little bit of time to think about yours. We'll start with the tackles. My first one, I've got to go with the Jack Link's Beef Steak Stick. If you guys have seen these in the gas station, they're just a little stick of beef, man. And all it is is 240 calories, 22 grams of solid, pure, lean beef that's got to be my number one pick at the offensive tackle position and then on my right side and my right tackle I got to go PBJ man and here's why you want to talk about a versatile snack a versatile snack of all versatile snacks most and most offensive tackles struggle with putting on weight and what's the number one thing people tell them eat PBJs constantly hell eat six of them a day so my number two tackle off the board the snack PBJ it is the wave drill of offensive line snacks if you will all right so (laughs) On to the guard position, my favorite, the Thick Boys. I'm going with mac and cheese as my first guard off the board. You talk about a carbo load. This is where we've got to get thick and juicy with the mac and cheese. The second one I'm coming off the board with is cornbread, man. My number two guard, and here's why. You want to be thick in the hips? You want to get thick on the backside? You got to get some cornbread in that life. All right, so center, again, we got to get the dependable snack, right? The ultimate go-to snack, the always on time. Again, never flashy, but always gets the job done. This snack to me is the Cheez-It. The Cheez-It's not going to overwhelm you with taste. It's not going to overwhelm you with juice. But then again, it's a day-in, day-out go-to snack, and it's always going to give you the effort. That is my offensive line of snacks. And as you can tell, Nate, I love food, and I know you do too. So what are your go-to snacks? Give me your two offensive tackles again Got to be lean, got to be powerful and versatile. Where are you going with your offensive tackles? Oh, man, it's going to be a tough act to follow. But just from being lean, and I'm thinking actually about the packaging, I got to go right tackle is going to be a can of Pringles. Oh, you can, stack, yeah. you can stack them with anything. You can stack Pringles with Pringles. You could probably stack Pringles with just about anything else. But just the physical appearance of a can of Pringles and just knowing that, hey, it's going to be a nice potato chip in there. You know, maybe maybe a little greasy, but it's going to be able to go with anything very versatile. Right tackle's got to be a can of just your original Pringles. I'm going to tell you what, if Caleb McGarry out of Washington isn't your original can of Pringles, I don't know what <laughs> is. In fact, I hope I Tom you. McShay used that as his comp NFL comp comparison come draft day. All right, who's on the left side? Left side, and it's funny that you mentioned it, but I've got to go with Slim Jim. You know, not necessarily for being too lean, yeah. but man, when you, when you open that thing up and you start taking a few bites, I mean, it may, it's a little bit heavier than it looks. Yeah, it definitely you know, sits it, it heavier may, for sure. Got a lot more power than one would believe. I'm, I'm right there with you. And you just don't know what's in it, you know, and, and you're just not <laughs> sure, you know, and so your left tackle can be a range of guys. He can, he can be a little nasty, yeah. you know I mean? And you can also be a little bit refined. Mm. You know, you can also be a little bit taller, a little bit slimmer. I got to go with Slim Jim, and not not just your normal Slim Jim. I'm going with 
the king size or equivalent Ooh. of that Slim Jim, where you're walking out, and if you're a six-foot-tall yeah. guy, it, you know, it, it may be dragging. Up to your so, hip, yeah, I, for sure. Absolutely. So Slim Jim on the left, can of Pringles on the right. Moving inside, I'm making no distinction between right and left guard. I'm going nasty. I'm going dirty. I'm going heavy. I'm going something that you see when maybe there's a fight around. I'm going with a Frito chili pie. <laughs> a Frito because chili when, you, pie. when you eat it, you're going to feel it. Oh, yeah. Okay? And then you're going to realize that maybe that was a mistake mm. going up against the right guard and the left guard. They're the, they're the brawlers of the bunch. They're nasty. They're dirty. You know exactly what you're getting into when you go to the state fair and you order yourself a Frito chili pie. And it's going to be a little bit messy. That's exactly, you know, it's like Quentin Nelson, baby. Ooh. If you go head up, stripe to stripe on Quentin Nelson, it's going to get you're nasty. Gonna feel it, and it's going to get nasty. Most and nasty is a mentality. Quentin Nelson plays with it. My favorite NFL lineman to watch, Quentin Nelson. Shout out to Quentin Nelson doing a hell of a job out there. But that's my Frito chili pie. And then out of left field, the center, obviously, I have a lot to speak about this. Something that is not flashy, but you see it everywhere. It's consistent. It's on time, and it's going to do the job. It's got just enough protein to make itself worthy. That's the mozzarella cheese stick. <laughs> because you know what, centers are so you know centers are a little bit quirky. You know, you may be able to do anything you want to. You know, centers are a little bit psycho. They're the ones who eat the cheese stick whole. You know, they're not the ones that are going to actually do the string cheese. Now, centers can do string cheese if that's what you ask them to do. They can pull off the little string cheese, but it's just, it's different. It tastes different. You don't know exactly what you're going to get out of your center. He may be smart. He may be mean. He may be a little dirty, maybe a little nasty. But at the end of the day, he's always going to be there. He's always going to be consistent. And he's always going to show up in your lunch. And that's going to be the mozzarella cheese stick. I absolutely love it. I wish we would have done this segment first. That absolutely killed. <laughs> uh, last segment we've got for you. Every, well, something we do here on the NFL Mox Podcast with all of our guests. A little something we call 5 under 10. I got five questions for you. First thing that comes to your mind, you got 10 seconds to answer it. Are you ready? Uh, is there any passing? Um, if you want to pass. Like um, to the end. Like, like Family Feud, or is this just... Yeah, well, you know, yeah, like, we'll come back to it. Just, just say, come back. Off. Yeah, just say, come nope, back. We're going to rattle them off. I'm there going you with go. it. I trust my instincts. Let's All right, go. you already answered this one, so it'll be easy. Favorite guy to watch on tape? Quentin Nelson. All right, Quentin Nelson. Favorite sports-related movie? The Replacements with Keanu Reeves. I love it. I love the uh, bar scene when they get in the fight. Um, and the scene when they're singing in the jail cell. That's absolutely epic, too, the following scene. Um... All right, number three, this is one I, I got to take a stab at you. Is Texas high school football overrated because I say yes? Absolutely not. I can't believe I've done this podcast with you then. Ah! <laughs> All right, number four, what's your favorite part about coaching? Uh, the relationships with the kids. All right, if you weren't coaching football, what would you be doing, Nate Leonard? I'd be making a podcast about football. Well, there you go. You'd be doing what I'm doing. Two kindred <laughs> go, spirits man. right there, man. Two undersized centers. Uh, I really enjoyed doing this with you, Nate, man. We've had a great time here on the NFL po or Mox podcast. Again, folks, go check out Nate's work over on Twitter at Duke Coach Leo. Nate, man, I really appreciate you for stopping by, bud. Man, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Also, shout out, I'm trying to revamp the Instagram. I'm same thing at Duke Coach Leo. If you're on Insta, come follow me. I'm trying to do a bang up job on Insta, but you can follow me on Twitter too. No hard feelings. All right, brother. Thanks again to Coach Nate for joining us here on the NFL Mox Podcast. Again, if you guys have any questions, uh, team-related or whatever questions you have, draft-oriented, please feel free to leave those in the rating section there on wherever you catch out this podcast. And again, thank you guys for listening. We'll address those questions soon. Thanks, guys. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.